Welcome back to your neighborhood's favorite podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Education Manager. And I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor. Today's guest has been tasked for the last 13 years with the unenviable task of sitting beside me. <laughs> she is, of course, our Associate Principal Flute, Shannon Finney. Aside from her generally impressive dedication to music, Shannon, among others, has literally hung out a shingle during this pandemic and performed numerous porch concerts for an ever-growing throng, though a socially distanced throng, of fans <laughs> around her home in Waldo. She's also a skilled and irrepressible cook and baker with a penchant for orange soups. Oh. Ooh, I'm going to have to hear more about those orange soups. Yeah. Well, you know, in the orchestra, of course, we're all colleagues. Uh, we're all partners trying to work together all the time to make fantastic music. But within the orchestra, there are many people that might not think about the fact that there are actually smaller and really important subgroups and partnerships that exist, especially in the winds and brass where there's less rotating of positions. Um, you're likely to sit beside the same person every single day for a very large part of your career. So that becomes a, a pretty important relationship and one that's really vital to making great music. You know, one of the most amazing things for me to see during this period is the creativity and the flexibility that our musicians have shown in how they continue to share their music. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen a lot of the videos online, personal performances, instrument demos, and even orchestra performances like you might have seen on Celebration at the Station or the Somewhere Over the Rainbow video we just released with uh, Joyce DiDonato. But there have been many live performances as well. And it's just, it's amazing to see people come out in the street to enjoy hearing music in whatever way that we can deliver it. It's really true. I love seeing that, and uh, I look forward to so much more of it. So uh, right now, it is my great privilege to welcome our guest for today, the porch queen herself, my <laughs> friend, mm. section mate, and partner in all things flute, Shannon Finney. Welcome. Yay! Thank you. Hello, everybody. And I will take any sort of crown I can get. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, Shannon. It's great to have you here. Thank you. So, Shannon, these porch concerts have turned into a really amazing series. Um, can you talk to us a minute about how you started these concerts and, and what were the first ones like and, and how did all of this come about? Absolutely. I think the very first time that it crossed my mind was when I saw the people in Italy who were making music from balconies. And it was just such a reminder that music is a way for us all to connect um, and that it's a way for us to create a communal experience um, during hard times. So the next thing that happened for me is that actually our cellist, Maria Crosby, had this idea to start them and she reached out to me and I had already sort of been toying with the idea and I immediately hopped on the bandwagon and in our, she lives in Brookside and I live in Waldo. In our neighborhood, basically she asked anyone, amateur or professional, to come out and play the opening bars uh, to Ode to Joy. Oh, very cool. And then, and then go on to play whatever you wanted. And so I put together some solo flute things that I thought would be appropriate. And I wrote on my sidewalk, which was kind of fun. Haven't used sidewalk chalk in some time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I really wasn't sure who would come. I have a mailing list I wrote to as well. And I probably ended up having maybe 30 people. Now, that includes people sitting on their own porches. And actually, my neighbors were incredibly excited and receptive Um 
and mostly I just was, again, reminded like to create this situation where people are having a communal experience of music and not just listening in their own home. Mm -hmm. And the live experience always has the edge over any sort of recorded experience, not only because there's the risk factor of what could happen when it's live, but also that there's an energy, Mm -hmm. an actual energy in the air that you can't capture um, through a recorded experience. And so there were maybe, like I said, 30 people, and I played for about a half an hour, and I talked a little bit. Um, won't come as a surprise to any of you that I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the you know the interesting thing for me was that I actually had people from my street come that I had never met. It took a pandemic for oh, me to cool. meet some of my neighbors. I have oh. found that too, actually. Like the, it's the silver lining in all of this is all of the friends that we've made just being out in our neighborhood. Now it's pretty. It's pretty cool. It is. It's very cool. Yes, I'm grateful for that for sure. My next idea after that was that I thought that my community might enjoy hearing somebody besides me. Um, <laughs> and so I asked Kayla Burgraff, our newest member of our flute section, uh, if she wanted to play with me. And she did. She was excited. And so we played a whole program of flute duets and actually piccolo duets, which we were pretty sure no one had ever heard. Nice. <laughs> um, and it was so much fun. Not only did we get to make music with someone, which we haven't done in, you know, in person in a long time. And mind you, we were socially distanced. She and I had never rehearsed. So we made sure we picked music that you could play having worked on on your own and then put together uh, just right on the spot. So some of it was as new to us as it was to the audience. Um, nice. But the the feedback has been terrific. People have left thank you notes in my door the next day. Hmm. Um, someone on, sometimes I post on next door about them and somebody just uh, last weekend, I gave one with Christina Fulton, our principal oboe, and somebody p- uh, posted that it was an uplift, such an uplifting event. And boy, did that make my day! Yeah, nice, nice. So you've done three so far, or I more have. than three? I have. Yeah. And what's the audience size now? Because I'm sure it's um, growing in in interest as more and more people find out about it. The one the. The second one with uh, Kayla was around 50 people. Um, a neighbor actually counted. Um, and nice. then the uh, the last one, I think they're probably were closer to 60. I limit the advertising. You know, I don't want to be a problem. I don't want to create an unsafe right. environment. I don't want my neighbors to be upset with me. Um, yeah. But I do have another one in the works already. Nice. Awesome. That's terrific. That's terrific. Well, Shannon, you and I got to hang out uh, virtually last week, actually, on uh, for a symphony event. We did a virtual event with some of our great patrons, and I learned something new about you that I never knew. You're, tell us a little bit about how you started with the flute, because it's kind of a unique story. It's not the typical story for how most musicians start or the age they start or, or something like that. Tell us how you, how you began your journey with the flute. Sure. Um, well, my parents were not musicians, and so that's already unusual. Most people have, most musicians have at least one person in the family who has a background in music in some way, or even has a love for it, and I basically not heard classical music in my home. Hmm. So when I was 12, the arts came to my school and they started a band, and there weren't very many choices as to how many instruments, or which instruments you could play. I think it was clarinet, flute, trumpet, and drums or something like that, a a horrible (laughs) band. Um, And so I started there, but the only instruction you get there, of course, is from the band director, and he's responsible for like 40 kids. So Mm -hmm. it isn't very, very personalized or um, explicit. And I was kind of on my own. And then when I got to high school, 
I had done pretty well up to that point. I got to high school, and there was a girl who was better than I was, gasp. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 this did, was not lost on me, and I found out that she took private lessons for an hour every week. And so I marched right home and said, I'm going to need some lessons. <laughs> and, and so I ended up actually with her teacher, of all things, of course. Um, and But I would have been like 16. I don't think I had heard yeah. an orchestra really much prior to that. I had certainly no yeah. idea that people could make a living doing that, playing the flute. Um, so that's, that, that is a pretty unusual path. Well, I liked hearing that because I, even though I started playing violin when I was in third or fourth grade, it was the same thing with me. I almost quit actually at the end of junior high, as we called it back then. And it wasn't until high school that I started taking private lessons. So Mm -hmm. when I heard, heard you tell that story, I could really identify with it. It made me feel great. You know, some of us start our love for it, our true passion for it a little later, but um, sometimes that's a good thing because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're younger, not everyone has the right discipline or whatever. It takes so much practice and everything else. And you were probably just like me that once that finally kicked in and you decided, hey, I want to really take this seriously, then your motivation level went through the roof and you were able to excel at a really fast pace. I think that's a really great lesson for listeners to learn, too. I mean, there's kind of this... Um, perception that if you want to be in a professional orchestra and you want to make this your career, you have to start playing your instrument at three years old. And if Mm. you don't start your kids by, you know, by three, then just forget it. But certainly on wind instruments, that's just not even possible. Um, You know, they they make string instruments that are sized for small kids, um, but they don't make really wind instruments um, in in their kind of current um, iteration for small children. So I mean, you have to be a certain size and have a certain lung capacity and kind of be developed enough to play wind instruments. Um, and I think that's a, a great message is that, you know, you don't have to start in the womb in order to be able to be a professional musician. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm almost uh, jealous of, in a way of people who have had an experience more like yours, is that, you know, this was this was a choice that you made at a at a relatively mature age, which mm-hmm. I think is is cool. And I'd like to think that if I had been older before I started music, uh, I would have made the same choice. But I don't really know. And you know, for me and and a lot of musicians, uh, the the joke about starting in the womb is there's there's more truth to it than joke. Actually, and, mm-hmm. you know, I started not flute but piano first when I was six years old. So. Playing playing music for me, it wasn't that it wasn't a choice. Like if I had hated it and didn't want to do it, I wouldn't have had to do it. But you know, at that age, you don't really make choices for yourself. My mom put me in piano lessons, which was great, and you know, I I took to it and I took to the flute. Uh, I I can't even remember. There's I have no memory of a time in my life when I didn't play music, and it just didn't seem like what I did, uh, and I chose to make it a career but i didn't choose it so i think Mm -hmm. i think it's a really really special thing actually but but talk about because what's what's amazing to me is that is that you're able to make the the journey from this is something i really want to do to something i'm going to make my life my at presumably you know finishing high school and then decided to go go to college and study this like how did that journey happened so fast from the first day you had flute lessons to, you know, three or four years later, you decided to go and study this in college and hopefully make it your profession. Well, 
Mike, I think we can both agree that I'm some sort of genius. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. that's where I was leading. I was trying to set you up, but I didn't want to be the one to say it. Nice. So, I, well, I'm going to start with a story which is more interesting to me in retrospect than when it happened to me, which is that um, I did well in school growing up. I was valedictorian of my high school and so forth. And when I made the decision to go to school for music, I actually had a high school teacher come up to me and say, what a waste. Mm. Mm. And I don't think I didn't think too much of it at the time. I had a lot going on. I was excited about music, but looking back, I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. that says a lot about how people perceive the role of music. And it, not maybe not people, but it's certainly the community that I grew up in. Interesting. Um, the other thing I would add is that my parents, despite knowing nothing about music, they are so supportive of me. So there was never any. Are you sure you want to do that? Really? Mm. Um, they just you know put the money out there and said go and whatever I said I needed, they were there for. So that's mm -hmm. a big part of it, I think. Um, as far as moving from high school to college, basically my teacher, when she said, you could do for this for a living, I thought, really? Because I didn't know what path I was going to follow at that point. And then I got excited about it and just... She told me where to audition. She was very into the business end of things. I think a lot of musicians don't have that benefit of having a teacher early on who is who explains to you that this is a business. Yeah. And mm. things like you're not going to be at your best every day, but you have to find a way to do your best anyways. Mm -hmm. um, thing, and when she said that, she would say, which means on those days you play one bar at a time and then the next bar and then the next bar. So just little things like that. Um, and I auditioned for Northwestern and got in. And the person there, my teacher, Walford Kujala, had a real reputation for placing people in orchestras, for giving them the skills that they need to win auditions. Mm -hmm. um, and I got there, and it was a, a shock to me because I was highly ranked in the state of Washington. And I got to Northwestern, and frankly, I was terrible. I was at the mm -hmm. bottom of the heap. I was one of the two worst flutists there when I arrived <coughs> as a freshman. It was a bit... It was, it was a little shocking. Um, the world is such a big place, so much bigger than Federal Way, Washington, where I'm uh -huh. from. So anyways, I just, I honestly, I just worked hard. That's, that's all I can say. I, my first teacher used to say, uh, she told my mom once that I'm sort of, you know, like a dog. You tell me what to do and I do it and then I'm back for more. Um, <laughs> so. I'll try and remember that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I would say, and this is just sort of a side point, but I also was lucky in that it became clear to me, you know, the whole audition process is sort of a nightmare and the hardest thing that we do, frankly, getting a job is harder than having a job in some ways. And I early on figured out that auditioning itself was a skill mm -hmm. and that separate from playing the flute and being a musician mm. is learning how to take yeah. an audition. And I, I think that was a help to me. So, and I certainly did all of the, all of the music and summer festivals as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Shannon, as in your role as associate principal flute, many times you're playing the second flute part. Uh, some of our audience might not know that, yes, there are three flutes on stage usually. Uh, there's usually a first flute part, a second flute part, a third flute part, or a first, second, and piccolo. And obviously you play a lot of piccolo too. You also play principal flute when Mike is not in, uh, playing on a certain concert. And that happens quite often because we do so many concerts. Tell us a little bit about the difference uh, of the different approach you have to take or the different challenges in playing second um, as opposed to playing principal on a concert? What are the differences between those two roles? Sure. Um, for me, it's partly a mindset. When I'm playing second, uh, it feels a little bit more, a bit like a puzzle to me. Um, how can I figure out how to 
match Mike, you know, in every way. Um, especially when he first came and his sound and his way of playing were new to me, I would go home literally and have him in my ear sort of, and just try to sound like him. Um, and I enjoy that. I like that sort of that, that puzzle aspect of it. Um, and so my attention while I'm playing second is largely on him, which is not to say I don't listen to everybody. And, you know, occasionally I look up at the conductor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but my attention is largely on him and making sure that I am doing exactly what he needs me to be doing hey shannon Um, can i ask please how how long was mike how long were you in the orchestra before mike got there is this your 13th season pumpkin uh yeah (laughs) i'm pumpkin for our listeners pumpkin i'm the pumpkin (laughs) no not the pumpkin just pumpkin (laughs) okay so i'm in my 26th season so i had been here for 13 years before mike came so, I mean, you, that's obviously just an adjustment in and of itself is you're playing with one person's sound and style and, you know, p- just the way that they play. And then to make that shift is, I, I think, a big deal. It is a big deal. I mean, uh, on top of it, I, I want to make him happy. He doesn't always <laughs> believe that, but I really do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and on some level, you know, he's the boss. Oh, don't tell him that that here. I cannot wait to find that level. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when you play principal, or when I move over to play principal, it's a little different in that my focus is definitely sort of a little spread out, especially amongst the principal wins, the concert master, and so forth, and, and the conductor. You know, when you're playing second, the principal is kind of a conduit for, for interpreting what the conductor is doing. Hmm. It's more important that I play with Mike than it is that I right. play with the conductor. I'm so sorry, Jason. No, it's so true. I'm glad. I'm actually glad that you're bringing all these things up. These are things that most people don't know that that there really are. You know, each principal player is exact a conduit, like exactly the way you described it, and it's up to that person to kind of interpret different things about articulation and dynamics and everything else from the conductor. And then the rest of the section, like you said, follows their principal player. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great discussion, actually. Oh, well, I'm glad. The other thing about playing principal, and this is probably just me, I actually love my job because, as you said, I get to play piccolo, which has a special place in my heart, and I get to play second, and I get to play principal, and I love the mix of it and the fact that I'm mm-hmm. keeping all sorts of skills in play um, throughout my career. Having said that, when I play principal, it feels more intellectual to me like I end up living in my head a little more Hmm. and just there's a lot of data coming at you so many data points coming at you um, to incorporate and think about and be in the moment and all of that and then when I play second I do feel like it's a little easier for me to to play from my heart rather than my I just get out of my Mm -hmm. head a little more Mm -hmm. interesting Um, so I don't know if that's everybody but I suspect it might just be me I wanted to point out, too, that so Mike has had a a small panic attacks uh, over the course of this podcast over a variety of things. But one of them, um, (laughs) we we discussed Peter and the Wolf and the fact that he uh, I don't know, Mike, would you say that you're not a fan or it's just not we we play it often when we play it. Right. Yeah, that's true. No, it's it's more about the the historical baggage of having to prepare it for auditions and perform right. it for auditions. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I wanted to point out was that I know we've done it a handful on a handful of different series over the last ten years or so, um, but there was one in particular that I remember Shannon playing 
flute because there's just one flute um, in yeah. the Prokofiev Peter and the Wolf. And I was so excited, you know, that Shannon was there. And I learned that Shannon actually asked to play it. So you here have complained about playing it. And Shannon's like, I, I want to play this part. And that just makes me all the more impressed with Ms. Shannon Finney. Well, okay, wait, that's funny, because here's what I thought happened. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I thought, Poor that, Mike. Well, that's Mike's what getting I thought beat up happened, this episode. So I'm interested to hear what you thought happened. <laughs> what, yeah. I, what I thought happened is that I mentioned that I've never played that piece. And of course, it's a major piece for the flute in all of our repertoire and then the next time we ca- it came up mike has assigned it to me and i think what a great principle i have that is so nice of him that he wants me to have these opportunities um and it turns out he actually hates the piece and was just <laughs> sloughing it off on me <laughs> no I'm actually sure it was a little bit of both piece <laughs> to be fair that is the version that i heard i mean i heard that you had you had wanted to play it it wasn't that mike did not want to play it although now that we've been talking about this a few different times i feel like it could have played a role i don't know well see the the part the part of the story too that's funny is that is that that wasn't the only thing on the program as i recall i don't remember the whole program but i think firebird was on it too and maybe a couple of other things that yeah, that were quite possible. challenging and you know these are pieces that Shannon, of course, you play all the time, but usually I play them as well. So you're playing the second or the piccolo part. So, uh, you know, these wouldn't be parts that you're unfamiliar with, but not parts that you play that often. Uh, so I, I remember thinking that like, oh, well, you know, you wanted to play, you wanted to play Peter and the Wolf. Oh, but did you also want to play Firebird and <laughs> whatever the other dozen things were on that concert? <laughs> That's true. There were probably about a dozen. You are Yeah, right. I bet there were. <laughs> Actually, your Stephanie, your your version of events. Um, part of the thing that struck me about it is that I actually am not sure I would ever ask Mike to play something. Sort of, yeah. I'm not saying never. And as we certainly have grown closer and closer over the years, um, that might happen. But in general, I I try to be very respectful of sure. of setting us up in a way. I'm assuming that he's making part assignments that help him do his best work. And so mm. I'm just here to like uh, do whatever it is he wants me to do. Yeah. This is super cool. I'm really enjoying this discussion like I said because like I think there's so many things that that even those of us in the orchestra world forget sometimes or they're just we just take them for granted. There's all these little subgroups and all these roles that we play and and all that's so important to making us successful. And you know, as we as you were talking about all that, I thought about the fact that there are actually several pieces. I'm I'm thinking in particular some of the later Dvorak symphonies that have second flute solos in them. So I'm wondering, has Mike ever asked you to play principles so that he could play a juicy second flute solo? Like <laughs> Dvorak New World has some of those. Has uh, that ever happened? That has never happened. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Mike will not be handing the crown to me in this case. Um, I, I think I might have to consult my union representative yeah, if I, I even <laughs> wanted to. Yeah, it's, honestly, it's not something that would be looked favorably upon just from an institutional standpoint. Sure, um, sure. So, and honestly, Mike, I you know, I love to give him a bad time, and and uh, in fact, when I found out I was doing this, I thought you know more opportunities to tease Mike because I don't get as many of those in person right now. <laughs> um, having said that. He, you know, respect is the foundation, certainly, of our work together, and um, he would not take a solo away from me, unless I asked him to. Right. <laughs> there you <Nice>. go. <laughs> no. Cool. 
Well, Shannon, you are also uh, not only an amazing flutist, but you are a very good cook and baker. There, I've, I've been able to sample many of your baked goods backstage before. What are some of your uh, favorite things to make? And have you tried any new recipes during this stay-at-home time, either cooking or baking? Well, how long do you have? Uh, let us have it we got a lot of tape well (laughs) mike hit the nail on the head in the intro in that probably my favorite thing to make is soup right i just think Mm. soup is just good for the soul and on any occasion um and the funny thing is that when when he first came to town and i would have him over for dinner i think the first four or five times just coincidentally i did not even realize it i served him an orange soup (laughs) wow that's crazy i should have clarified Orange in color, not orange from the fruit. Yeah, yeah. we figured that, Mike. We yeah. figured yeah. that out. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm sure you make a wonderful citrus soup that mm. I'd love to get the recipe to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but um, yeah, they, I I love to make soup, but certainly I also like to make, and probably what you've had are what I call treats. I love to make treats that, you know, I enjoy the visual aspect, so I, I cut them just so, um, and I have a tip for your listeners if they want one. What do you think? Oh, I, absolutely. Let's hear it. Okay, so maybe this is a little uh, on the shows my type A side, which is certainly there, um, but to make them look good, if it's brownies or fudge or something like that, I actually dip the knife in hot water and wipe it off every time I make a cut. And that's how they come out looking all perfect. I just learned um, something. That's yeah. cool. And then I always put my treats in little bags and tie them up and leave them for people on their stands. And it's fun. I enjoy it. So, nice. Shannon, I knew there was a reason we got along because I also love to make soups. Soups are my favorite things to make. What is your, like, if you had like a go-to recipe... I know Signature maybe dish. Di- yeah, but like I know there are different seasons, but like if you just had like a favorite soup recipe, what is it? Can I have one for each season? Because I, yes. if I, when you said signature recipe, and certainly this is amongst the orange soups, which I feel I must discuss now, um, I have a peach soup that is cold for, yeah, it's got almond in it and a little almond flavoring. And so, oh, mm. it's so good. Yeah, Mike? Yeah, I, oh, I believe I've had it. You have. <laughs> Now, you will have to explain to me what is the difference between a peach soup and just a peach smoothie in a bowl. It's a peach liquid. Yes, peach soup comes in a bowl. Yeah. It's a lot like a peach smoothie. It's delicious, whatever you call it. It has a little cute little raspberry drizzle flour on it. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Um, But during the wintertime, I would have to say... Possibly, I have a black bean soup that has bacon and all kinds of good things in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably be mine. What 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 is yours, Stephanie? Um, I have this um, wild rice uh, chicken and shiitake mushroom mm. soup recipe that is like it's a fall weather soup. I mean, it's like you know, it's what you would. But my, I'm not kidding. My mouth is watering right now talking about it. I would <laughs> eat it right now. It's so delicious. So we need to exchange soup recipes. I'm on for it. sure. I'm your Kay. girl. Okay, maybe we'll share our recipes in the in the comments as well this week. Okay, that's a good idea. Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> All right, Jason. To answer the other part of your question, a friend turned me on to this crunchy balloon bread that I've been making, and so Ooh. it's really easy. I don't. I kind of stopped making bread when I was younger. I made about four doorstops and thought, you know, no, this isn't working for me. Um, so turned to, turn to other things. But this bread, I have been successful almost all of the time. And it, it 
you put cinnamon sugar inside this little packet of dough and it turns, mm. it blows up in the oven into this little balloon that's crunchy with cinnamon sugar on the inside. Ooh. That sounds delicious. It is delicious. Will you please make those when we come back to work? I would love that. I will. That'd be great. You heard it here. She's committed. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> okay. People really should understand that being in the flute section means, thanks to Shannon, there is a steady stream of treats for all seasons. And not only do they come uh, perfectly, beautifully packaged, occasionally Shannon also brings us what she affectionately refers to as the butts. <laughs> oh. The butts? What is this? The butts are the corners and the edges that don't uh. make for beautifully cubic right angled brownies and ah. other things bars and and those uh occasionally make their way to work as well and they're uh you know they're the black swans of the treat <laughs> world they're every bit as delicious they're just unloved and it actually sounds like uh burnt ends that's the best part like of the brisket right yeah Here's the thing, Mike. What you don't know is that I only share the butts with people who are nearest and dearest to my heart. No oh, wonder I wow. didn't know about the butts. Wow. I've never <laughs> seen them. No conductor is ever going to be fit that description, that's for sure. <laughs> so, Shannon, tell us about um, you've uh, Summerfest. This is something you've worked with for a long time. Um, and just talk, talk to us a little bit about what Summerfest is and your general interest in putting together concerts, planning and producing concerts. Well, in general, I just, um, I'm definitely interested in the fact that, you know, you come to the symphony and you see the people on stage and what you don't see are all of the people doing the hundreds of things that need to happen that don't involve sitting there playing an instrument. Um, mm -hmm. So I've always wanted to make sure that... Um, I knew what was going on and, and could support those people as well. Summerfest is a local chamber ensemble that plays concerts in July on the weekends. So, of course, that's not happening this year. Mm -hmm. um, what is unique about it, actually, is that part of our mission is to interact with our audience. And so, what I was for a while, I was an artistic advisor and personnel manager and board member and so forth. And in our actual contract that we sent to musicians, we actually required them to be at the reception to talk to patrons. Not that we don't want to be there, but it just sort of, we felt it was so important as our mission that it belonged in the contract. And so, the musicians understood that that was part of the job, not just playing and going home. Mm -hmm. um, and that has, I, I wish that actually symphony orchestra musicians had that experience as well, because that's one of the ways that I really found out what music means to people um, when they come up and say, my summer would be a desert without this music here. Right. Um, so I've been with Summerfest for about 23 years. About 10 of those, I was the personal manager and artistic advisor. One of the neat things about it is that if you are an artistic advisor, you get to have a lot of input into programming, and that's something that you don't get to have when you play in an orchestra. Um, so, of course, Mike can also speak about this, because when I stepped down, um, when I was 50, I decided less administrative work was in my future. So mm -hmm. I stepped down, and I've continued, to play <laughs> I've continued to play the flute with Summerfest, but Mike has taken over... Uh, for me and some of the administrative work. So, Is that right? Yeah, I've, uh, well, I started playing with Summerfest a couple weeks of summer. So Shannon and I uh, usually split the summers. There are four concerts and she has another uh, 
festival that she does the first part of the summer. So I play a couple weeks. She plays a couple weeks. And uh, yes, for the last maybe three years now, is that right? Uh, something like that. Uh, the torch has been passed, and I can't hardly say uh, that I've replaced you. That's absolutely not the case. But uh, but I'm having fun participating in it, and uh, myself and uh, a couple other wonderful colleagues, uh, Alex East from the Symphony and Jane Carl, who uh, is the clarinet professor at UMKC. We try to put our heads together and come up with something worthy of uh, the legacy of concert planning that Shannon left us. <laughs> man, Mike, you're surprising. You're like, you're everywhere. Just I'm everywhere, every man. organization. I'm like, Mike, oh, of course Mike has something to do with that. <laughs> Trust me, you can't get rid of him even if you wanted to. I'm like a, I'm like a sh- fungus. I'm just everywhere. <laughs> Oh, wow. dear. The, one of the amazing things about Summerfest for me personally has been that, you know, there are string quartets out there making, and some brass quintets that make a living just doing chamber music, but it's very difficult if you're a flutist to make your living playing chamber music. Sure. Um, mm. And so, or even being paid to play chamber music on a regular basis is a privilege. And somehow, in my years with Summerfest, I have played over 100 pieces of chamber music for the flute. Oh, cool. I, I, wow. just, it's sort of shocking, actually. That's really cool, it's, though. That's yeah. super cool. So, Shannon, we know you like to cook soups, and we know you like to bake. Do you like to drink? And if you do, <laughs> what do you like to drink? Well, What's your favorite I'm, drink? I'm going to be a disappointment here, because a few no, you're years not. ago... Oh, just you wait. I'm not oh, done. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Um, a few years ago, I actually... And actually, Mike was there. The first time this happened, I developed an allergy to alcohol. <gasps> oh, um, no. <laughs> they call it an allergy, but actually it turns out it's sort of like your system basically has used up uh, your ability. The enzymes that process alcohol like are no longer doing their job. Oh, that's wow. so and sad. So I actually had Mike and Raymond, our principal clarinet, and someone else over in between opera services, and um, I fed them. We had a lovely meal, and there was still time to kill, and I had just... Uh, recently been introduced to Sambuca, and I was like, let's do a shot of Sambuca. The opera's an easy one. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so, we still had plenty of time. So, we all, you know, said cheers and did our little shots, and about five minutes later, we're talking in my kitchen, and they look, they're looking at me kind of funny, and one of them says, do you feel okay? And I said, yeah, I'm a little warm. And they said, maybe you should go look in the mirror. And I did. And I, oh, no. and one of them said it was like I had an instant sunburn. I was beet red everywhere. Um, Yikes. And it was wow. like that. It, it was just in a, in a matter of minutes, I went from being as normal as I get to being <laughs> <laughs> just beet red. And then, you know, that has continued. It doesn't matter what I drink. That's what happens. So it's oh, not really, man. it's Crazy. not as fun anymore. Um, when I did drink. If I, yes. needed to be ref- if I needed to be refreshed, I definitely was a gin and tonic with heavy on the twist of lime. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if it was after a concert, I'm sort of like your basic froofy, gir- girly, sweet drink, like a chocolate martini or something like that. Mm. Um, I will say... So what's your favorite non-alcoholic drink now then? Oh, hot chocolate. <laughs> oh. oh, there you go. That's, that's good. good. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. I mean, that's, you know, that's a... Yeah. That would be it. So we also ask all of our guests uh, the following question. What if you were able to sit down and have a hot chocolate with Beethoven? What would you ask Beethoven? Oh, you know, I don't know that this this was this is not Beethoven specific, but I do have something that I would want to ask all of the great composers. I can't imagine what it is like to have all of that 
beauty or magnificence in your head like a Beethoven 9 or Rite of Spring and just be like walking around a park and having that in your head. I Just what does that feel mm. like? Um, mm. Is it overwhelming? Do you feel like you have a secret? I think I would feel like I had a secret. Mm. Um, is it some sort of, I don't know, how long do you keep it there before you decide to put it on the page? Um, those are things I always wonder about. That's a great that, question. I, that is, that's a good answer, actually. Um, I just, I, I'm sorry, but I had the image of Beethoven with like the marshmallows from the hot cocoa on his <laughs> upper lip. And I, I can't imagine we always take him so seriously. So it would be really funny if you asked him that and he tried to answer that very seriously with the, the marshmallow like the, stain a, a across his upper mustache, lip. Yeah. All right. Well, Shannon, it is time to get serious here. We've had a lot of fun today, but it is time to get serious. It is time for Bar Talk. I'm going to ask a series of questions, and you, Mike, and Stephanie are each going to have 30 seconds to answer. And since we've talked about so many great things about the flute and so many great things about food, I think all of our questions are going to deal with one of those two subjects today. Each of you will have 30 seconds to answer each of these questions. And if I like where your answer is going, you're going to hear a bell ring like this. And if I'm not exactly liking your answer or your explanation, you'll hear a horn, which sounds like this. (laughs) As always, Tim, our audio engineer, is going to keep track of the points. And whoever wins the game at the end, whoever has the most points after these four questions, will get to give their recommended listening to our wonderful audience for the week. Are we ready, guys? Are we ready? It's time for Bartok. All right, here we go. First question, and we're going to start with you, Shannon, our wonderful guest. Sweet or savory or both? Well, Take it away. Okay. Well, at the risk of offending all of my um, family members in the cheese family, um, mm-hmm. we're, we're actual kinfolk, um, I'm going to have to say sweet. I think it would be disingenuous if I didn't say sweet because, like I said, I like bringing the treats. Every time I bring somebody a treat, they smile. They look happy. That's a good answer, and you definitely bring some great treats, and we definitely do enjoy them. So, good answer. Okay. Stephanie, what do you think? Sweet or savory or both? Definitely savory, 100%. I'm not a sweets girl. Savory all the way. So, like, if I'm going for, like, a late-night snack, I'm hitting up the cheese or the crackers or leftover pasta or chips. I know this is a problem that I have, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) savory for sure. Savory all the way. Yes. Okay, so we have one sweet, one savory. Uh, Mike, sweet or savory or both? Yeah, see, the thing for me is, like, I will really enjoy a brownie or a cookie, but I want, like, a plate of chicken wings. So Ah. it's got to be savory. All right. I'm going to give you one extra, a couple extra points for chicken wings because that is actually my favorite food next to steak, perhaps. Did you say okay. that? Just, did you say that just to placate me with the sweet, the, with the treats? I say everything just to placate you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Question number two: What is the best flute solo in the entire orchestral repertoire? This is not a concerto, but the best flute solo within an orchestral piece. We're going to start with our illustrious principal flute player, Mr. Michael Gordon. Oh goodness, there's a lot to choose from. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little off the radar slightly and mm. say uh, the first movement of Beethoven seven. That's a favorite. Oh, that's a good one. And why? Well, it's just it's so energetic and and it starts off the whole 
the whole piece essentially after the introduction. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite moments in music. Okay. Okay. And how about you, Miss Shannon Finney, our associate principal flute? Are you have the same answer or a different one? Well, that Beethoven seven is a great solo. I will say that. Um, however, I'm going to choose something different, and it's also a little off the beaten path, not necessarily off the flutist's beaten path, but it's not just in an orchestra, it's actually part of an opera. Mm. Um, and that is the flute solo from Salome, Dance of the Seven Veils. Ah. Um, that solo is just sex on a stick, right? Oh, you, you, get to, <laughs> you get to make your most voluptuous sound at the beginning and, and just warm it up and as, be as sensuous as you can. And then later on in the solo, it's just kind of sinewy as you're falling down those... Da, 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 and, oh, yeah, it, I, that gets me every time. Okay, I'm giving you a few horns for any of our listeners out there that are under the age of 18 that heard that comment. All right, moving on. Uh, Miss Stephanie Brimhall, what do you think is the best flute solo in the entire orchestral repertoire? Well, mine was a tie between two, so I'm going to save my one of them for my recommended listening. So you'll have to check okay. that out. Um, okay. And this is going to sound cheesy, but when when I was thinking about it, the first solo that came into my head was uh, Greensleeves, Vaughn Williams. <laughs> I know really? that's really lame, but that's what came into my head. I mean, it's what I heard, and it's so beautiful. What? I don't know. I mean, there are so many good flute solos, and that you picked, it's not even Vaughn Williams' actual melody. But it's so pretty. Okay, I'll give you one ding. No, Here don't give go. me a pity ding. All right, that's a pity ding. Moving on. Favorite kitchen utensil... Or appliance. There's so many good ones. But what is your favorite kitchen utensil or appliance to use when cooking? Let's start with uh, Stephanie with this one. Chance to redeem yourself here. All right. Well, listen, I know that there's some controversy here, likely, but I will tell you uh, the Instant Pot is 100% the greatest thing that has ever graced my kitchen Wow. ever in my life. It is... You can get food cooked in 20 minutes. I can come home from work and pick up my kids and have dinner on the table by 6.15. Now, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty impressive. And you can make a lot of delicious food in an Instant Pot. That is for sure. For sure. Oh, soups in the Instant Pot even. You can make anything in the Instant Pot. And it tastes like it's been cooking for days. And really, it's just been 20 minutes. So, highly recommend Maybe I need to get a, a sponsorship from Instant Pot. I was just going to say, is this a good time to let everyone know that you're also working, uh, in addition for the Kansas City Symphony, you're working with Instant Pot? As their Maybe main one day. You never know. All right, moving on. Uh, Mr. Mike Gordon, what is your favorite kitchen utensil or appliance? By the way, if you're enjoying this show, it'll continue at the top of the hour on the Home Shopping Network. <laughs> uh, my favorite actually is uh, is relatively new to me. It's my it's my 12 inch square sided all clad five ply saute pan. Ooh. I've had nothing but terrible cookware my entire life, and this past year, I decided it is time when the fake chrome was peeling off the handles mm. to get some pots and pans that are proper because I like to cook, and I love that particular piece. He's all grown nice. up now. I know. He's all grown up. It only took 38 years. Aww. Nice. Nice. All right, and last but not least, Shannon, what is your favorite kitchen utensil or appliance? 
I am going to have to go with the lowly and humble spatula. I actually have a whole, wow. what I call the spatula bouquet. I have all of these different colored spatulas, um, at one for everything. I do everything with a spatula, and I even have a little um, new mini spatula bouquet. Oh, wow. Cool. Fancy. I never knew. I never knew that you could have a bouquet of spatulas. <laughs> now you That's know. That's super cool. What's your favorite color? My favorite color. Favorite color is spatula. Yeah. Um. I. Oh. See. When that, you say bouquet, do you mean different colors or you mean different sizes? I mean different shapes and purposes and ah, so forth. So okay. there's some that. Are, but I do kind of like the purple blue green family. Having said that, the gotcha. other cool thing is that I liked when I travel, which I do a lot of. I would prefer to bring back sort of souvenirs that you can use instead of ones that you just look at. And a spatula. I I have started bringing home spatulas from places I travel. Nice. Oh, some people bring uh, postcards or spoons from various places. Shannon brings spatulas. That's cool. All right, last question. If you could join another section of the orchestra, which one would it be? We have two flutists and a clarinetist here. Mm -hmm. If you could join any other section of the orchestra, which one would it be and why? 30 seconds or less. We're going to start with Mike. Uh, I think I'd have to say the bass section. Because at least in our orchestra, there is this... Well, first of all, I mean, the bass is a beautiful instrument, and it's just so different from what I do. But there's this incredible bromance that goes on in the bass section that <laughs> I just want to be a part of. I want to be with the cool kids. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, you don't have enough facial hair, first of all. Like, I uh, feel like you need, like... Facial hair and like skinny jeans and like a, a lumberjack shirt. It's... It's a long trip for me. These two dings are for Stephanie, by the way. That was uh, well put. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Stephanie, if you could join another section, which one would it be? Oh, man. I sadly have to agree with Mike. I want to be in the bass section, too. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, so you they... criticize them and then you go ahead and say, no, well, that's no, fine. It wasn't critical. And oh, let's, okay. let's be honest. Like I, Well, I do not have a beard. I also do not wear skinny jeans, nor do I wear plaid shirts generally, but I feel like I have the attitude. I like embrace the bass lifestyle. They're just there to have a good time and to play music, and they want to be together as a section, which is cool. They hang out outside of rehearsal and concerts, and, you know, I want to hang out with those guys. All right. Good answer. Good answer. Okay. Shannon, please tell me you don't also want to be part of the bass section. What is what, if, what section would you join if you could join another section? Well, let it be said that I would never leave Mike. Okay. <laughs> but but um, I would want to be a cello, and I don't have good re reasons other than that I want to play the music that they play. Ah. They all, oh, they nice. just, everything is so juicy and lovely on the cello, and I don't know, every moment they play and have a solo that is like a section solo, I, I just, I'm riveted. Nice. Good answer, good answer. Okay. Uh, we had a lot of dings, not too many horns in this one. I, th I thought we had lots of good answers. We're about to find out the final results right now. In third place, unfortunately, it's our guest, Miss Shannon Finney. Uh, with the, it, was, it was those remarks about sex on a stick, I think, that took you down a little bit. Okay. In second place. I, I do it all again. Uh, second, second, place, second place with nine points. She is the queen of second place, Stephanie. Ugh. And last, but not least, with his second win ever on Bar Talk and 11 points, our principal flute, Mr. Mike Gordon. Well so, done. Mr. Gordon, well done. Congratulations. What is your recommended listening for this week? Oh, well, uh, I was trying to think about 
what the right thing to recommend this week would be. And there are so many great uh, examples of flute duos in the orchestral repertoire. But I do have to recommend, uh, I think it was either my first or second recording that uh, I made with the Kansas City Symphony. We did Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra, which is a really, really wonderful piece in general. And whether you're a kid or an adult, uh, it is beautiful, beautiful music, and it really does uh, showcase all the different instruments and sections of the orchestra, including the flutes. And uh, there are a number of really, really wonderful flute moments in that, and that is a uh, prime example of our teamwork in the flute section. So check it out. It's available everywhere you have, you know, recordings. Fantastic recommendation. Uh, And you and Shannon, of course, are on that recording. Now, Shannon, you've been such a wonderful guest. And even though you did not win Bartok, I feel like we owe it to you to give your recommended listening as well, because I'm curious what you would recommend to our listeners. Well, I thought we might end up talking about cooking. And so rather than recommend something classical, I'm going to recommend music that I cook to. Ooh, Ooh, nice. Uh, My favorite thing to cook to is the Gypsy Kings live. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. Here's the thing. I have no idea what they're saying. It's in Spanish. They could be saying chocolate is terrible. The flute sucks. Um, (laughs) But it doesn't matter. The spirit of that music is is just outstanding and always makes me feel good. Cool. Very nice. Good recommendation. All right. Well, I know I'm the queen of second place and I can't win this silly game. So you'll all just have to wait and see. <laughs> Let me redeem myself from my green sleeves recommendation, and you can see what I recommend as <laughs> in the in the comments section uh, along with this podcast. Well, this has been a really fun conversation, and I certainly can't wait till we're all back on stage together and I get my regular deliveries of treats. <laughs> <laughs> well, I- I'm sure that will happen. Um, I might even be able to drop some off at your house. I'll tell you, uh, seeing just one of you will be nice because Mike has been making these videos in which there are two of him. And he sent the first time he sent them to me, I texted him back and said, you sound lovely, of course, but really I can only handle one of you. I don't need two mics. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He's doing these awesome split screen videos that are, that are really cool. Um, definitely check those out. Yeah, indeed. You can find those on our website and on our all of our social media. Thanks again, Shannon. My pleasure. Well, good news. The time has finally come. The wait is over, my friends. That's right. In our season one finale next week, we will be answering your questions. Now, many of you have submitted excellent questions over the past several weeks with topics ranging from auditions to careers at the symphony, uh, from the rehearsal process to performance practice. We're going to try to answer as many of them as possible in our Ask Us Anything episode next week on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. 